This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. We've been spending a good chunk of time lately talking about artificial intelligence, simply because I really do believe it's going to reshape our world. In good ways and in bad. And we already know there are a bunch of experts that are warning of potential catastrophes that might be caused by AI. Just this week, we talked about it, the widespread warning um, of the potential for human extinction at the hands of artificial intelligence. There was a story this week of uh, a military application. The U.S. Air Force was running an artificial intelligence test uh, with a drone. And this drone, as part of the experiment, had been told to target whatever the target was at all costs. That's your mission. Your mission is to target, to destroy this target, right? So it's it's running this mission. It's doing its thing. And the human handler, the human who was actually running the experiment, said, okay, abort the mission, abort the mission, for whatever reason. I don't know what it was. Um, but the artificial intelligence that was telling the drone what to do thought this was a threat to the mission that it had been given so it turned and attacked the human handler now this is this is the kind of thing that we've talked about all along right hey this human is getting in the way of my stated goal i'll just take out the human and that's what it did so obviously they've exposed a bug in this particular simulation but i mean that's the scary side of ai are there upsides yeah sure we had a story just this week about researchers in canada who collaborated with some researchers at mit and managed to come up with the right chemical to attack a deadly and drug-resistant bacteria, right? It filtered millions and millions and millions of pieces of data and came back quickly with something that they could get started on. And, and you know, those kind of things are amazing. It has incredible power. Um, here's one to consider, though. Could this somehow fit into uh, the mental health crisis that we have? Could there be a way of using, for, for lack of a better term, robot therapists to deal with mental health? I mean... I guess. I don't know. I don't even know how it would work, but there are basically robot therapists or, or something like it that's happening already. So let's find out. And obviously there's some limitations, but let's get into it. We're going to speak now with Rachel Cates, who is a philosopher of ethics at the University of Toronto. It's been looking into this. So, uh, Rachel, thanks so much for joining us. I appreciate your time today. Thanks so much for having me. This is my first ever radio interview. Oh, cool. Right on. Well, welcome. This will be fun. Uh, it's a really interesting um concept, really. I, I was kind of surprised to hear it even exists, but what's going on? How are we using artificial intelligence in, in the realm of counseling or mental health? So currently, there are a couple of different um, ways that AI is being used in um, psychotherapy. Um, most of the work that I'm focusing on is exclusively where um, an AI, usually in the form of a chatbot, is completely replacing a human therapist. Um, so I'll flag that there are other kinds of therapy that are AI therapeutic interventions where um, the AI is kind of listening and giving feedback to the therapist to improve the therapist's, you know, ability to provide help to a patient. Okay. That's not what I tend to work on. I work mostly on the um, the chatbot style. Um, and so instead of, um, you know, meeting face-to-face with a therapist or over a video call um, or even, you know, having like some of the other um, text-based services um, that exist now, um, instead of 
you know, corresponding with a human, you're corresponding with, um, you know, often a pretty sophisticated, pretty decent chat bot, but something that is not a human being. I mean, I can just imagine all the therapists out there who are charging 250 bucks an hour. And it's like, wait a minute, I can just ask Siri. And then that, that it's, that's like the basic boiled down concept. It's not that simple. I mean, there has to be more to it, doesn't there? Oh, certainly. And the, the, um, often this isn't the context in, in the context. It's not usually therapists outsourcing their own right, yeah. labor to the, to the chatbot. It's often, um, kind of, um, either free of charge or it's, it's an app. So there may be in-app purchases or you can download a free version and then there's a premium version, that sort of thing. Yeah. So often these apps are targeting patients or would be patients who don't have a therapist or maybe who had not great experiences with in-person therapy and are looking um, for other options. Yeah, I can see upside to this, right? And if you take a look at what artificial intelligence really is and chatbots like you're talking about, basically it's like, you know, filtering through all of the accumulated information we have as human species uh, since the beginning of time and synthesizing it into something usable. So they do have access to the info and I'm sure there are sort of, I don't know, you wouldn't call it formulas, but practice plans or whatever the case may be that they could follow. So I could see fundamentally the pieces might be there to offer some assistance, right? Yes, um, and there are certain kinds of therapy that may lend themselves um, better to like non-human interventions. Um, I've kind of often said that things like exposure therapy, um, because it follows such a kind of regimented um, kind of procedure, it's a very procedural style of therapy, um, could be a good fit for this kind of app um, because instead you don't necessarily require this kind of emotional interaction it's often kind of a check-in kind of over the steps of the process um but uh but it's missing some there's some pieces that are missing rachel right i mean like there's there's a there's a human to human relationship that is really really important to this oh i I, so the cards on the table i certainly think so yeah. that's not to say that i don't think that there are these important uses and applications for these chatbots but i do think that there is something kind of special about that yeah. human to human relationship um whether it takes place in person in an office um or through a video call what, what is it what and if we were going to try and define it i know you talk a lot about trust right there there's a basic trust that we have there with the therapist the good ones anyway um and, and that really that really advances the relationship yeah, so if we assume a good, frankly, let's assume a good relationship with um, a human therapist and a good version of a relationship with an AI chatbot, I think that what is happening there are two different things. Um, I think that between um, two humans, what ends up being forged is a relationship built on trust. Um, in the philosophical literature, this often um, is said to require both vulnerability and um, kind of a minimal degree of goodwill towards the other party. Um, whereas in the context of a human and a chatbot, I think that what is happening more is a relationship of reliance. Um, I talk a lot about thinking of these um, apps as being like very supportive, very, um, you know, uh, they're walls, basically. You can lean on them. You can rely on yeah. them. But they're not responding in, a, in an interpersonal way the way a human therapist does. So is it a, a situation where we've got something here? And this is going to work in some cases, and we're just going to, because we're at the infancy with all of this sort of stuff, right? Is it, it potentially this? You could see the upside to this as long as it's done correctly, right? I think so. I think like I, I'm, I try to be pretty measured in most of my um, the the work that I do in philosophy, especially when it comes to um, AI, because I think that you know the hand wringing, catastrophizing is not really helpful to anyone, yeah. and often hides the, the real kind of more important issues. But I also think that. 
Um, you know, there are real dangers of, um, you know, how different, um, frankly, often governments could use this to cut healthcare funding further. Um, we already saw this in Ontario a little bit. Um, over the course of the pandemic, there was a free um, cognitive behavioral therapy phone line that um, I believe was opened. Um, and that, you know, sort of offset some of the, the um, supply and demand issue, but it doesn't necessarily replace um, having a, an actual therapist for a lot of people. So my, my real concern is that these apps um, or other, you know, future um, sort of um, tools will be um, kind of forced on patients uh, in lieu of a human therapist. Um, and I think what I want to advocate for is the continuation of um, patient choice yeah. in that context. Yeah. You know, I, I got to talk to um, some students that I was TAing last semester about um, this sort of intervention. And I was surprised by how many of them really um, liked the idea of talking to, you know, an AI therapist because they were really nervous about talking about their mental health issues or, you know, even admitting out loud that they were having troubles in, in certain areas in their lives. And so they liked the idea of at least having an AI sort of practice round um, before trying to reach out to a human therapist. And that sort of surprised me and really made me think seriously about um, what the potential benefits of these services yeah. could be. That's a really good point. I mean, a lot of the stigma that keeps people from entering a therapist's office would be gone if you're not talking to an actual therapist. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, but, you know, the flip side of that then is, you know, if you're already in an underserved um, community, um, if you pull the one therapist or, or further reduce the availability, let's say, of the few therapists in the area and force all of those patients onto therapy apps instead, um, they may not be getting the kind of care that they want to receive. It is interesting, yeah, and like you say, access, cost, uh, those those would go a long way to be being addressed if, if, if this was a very successful method. So, I mean, let's not throw it out, but like you say, it's got to be used properly. Interesting conversation, it certainly is. Rachel, thanks for being with us.